This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We are nothing more than the stories we tell about who we are. We are literally the embodiment of that story. Change your story. Change what you believe about who you are and what you deserve, and you will create a new life experience. When you can see what things truly are and how they work, when you see the unseen, you can create magic. The law of love is the most powerful of all the universal laws of manifesting. Once we realize this truth, we can forgive ourselves and others and know that we are part of the source, the universe, God. Valeria Tellis interviews Daniel Alexa, the co-author of A Pessimist's Guide to Manifesting, a practical approach to making the law of attraction and 20 other universal laws work for you. Daniel coaches dead people. His gift is to bring them back to life by breathing air into their story. He believes fully in anyone's ability to change their story so that they may achieve success. One of his mantras is, we are nothing more than the stories we tell about who we are. We are literally the embodiment of that story. Change your story. Change what you believe about who you are and what you deserve, and you will create a new life experience. Daniel is also the lead facilitator slash trainer with the Life Coach Institute of Orange County, sharing his skills and experience with the next generation of life coaches. Daniel has been recognized by Feedspot.com as one of the top 100 hypnotherapy blogs in the world. He is an award-winning hypnotherapist. Meet Daniel at DanielOlexa.com. Here is the interview with Daniel Alexa. In your own words, who is Daniel Alexa? I am an individual who is has discovered that I'm here on this planet to help people remember who they truly are as a soul animating a body and to start living from that perspective rather than from the lies that we've learned as ego and through cultural and family associations to be less than. So my first question to explore that throughout the opening section is, what is life to you? What is this experience? Not what it's all about, but what is it? To me, I think it is an individualized facet of a much larger awareness. Um, I, I come from more of a, a non-dualistic approach that we are all part of something greater. And I, I particularly call out they're part of something greater, not separated from it. And we are each merely one facet of experience of this, this larger, potentially infinite awareness. Um, and gaining, gaining perspective and sharing perspective and, and learning through all of it. 
In this large awareness you speak of, I know you mentioned words like the source, God, some called the divine universe. Do you assign any names? Only for myself, because um, I can't choose that for other people. I, I think I lean more toward universe and source personally, yeah. um, just because of the the cultural connotations of the word God. I, I tend to have a bit of a pullback from that. Yeah. Um, but for myself, it, it would be one of the other two. We spoke before recording the, the off-record about the first line in your biography <laughs> caught my attention a lot. So it says, Daniel Alexa coaches dead people. Talk to me for a moment about that. I was one of those dead people at one point in my life, and I'm not, ta- I'm not, I'm not talking passed away and came back. Um, I'm mm. talking that we get piled on in life with responsibility with jobs, with all kinds of things that get us feeling less than or people telling us we're not capable and we begin to believe those lies. And there comes a moment where it's just like, what is the point of all of this? And why am I, bo- why am I bothering? Why am I trying? And sometimes people give up at that moment. Yeah. And that's, that's the death I'm really talking about rather than, than living into potential and possibility. So that's an interesting idea of finding who we are. And I wonder why so many of us won't, or why does it take so long? Like in my case, it took 37 years to begin to question who I was. Do you wonder why no one questions? I think everybody questions at some point, but it doesn't seem like they go deeper enough. They don't commit to the exploration of who they are. Yeah, and what I, what I find with... The, with clients who come in to do the work, who they, they might have what I what I call maybe maybe that flame of hope is as tiny as a birthday candle on a on a cupcake, but it's yeah. still flickering, and they're looking to fan that flame. I think the the idea of learning the purpose and rediscovering who they are that my way of looking at it is that when we come into our lives, whatever incarnation, or if if you believe in past lives, that we carry lessons throughout, that's this ongoing journey of learning, that we choose... We choose both our purpose, so the, the why am I here in this lifetime animating this bag of skin and bones? And also, when I choose that purpose, I also choose the things that I'm going to place in my way as potential obstacles to learn and grow past to help me become the person who can fully embody and live out that purpose. And sometimes when we forget the bigger purpose, it's easy to say the obstacles are too big. And that would also be going back to that idea of the dying before we fully live. That I just, right. I'm sit here, this is too hard, I give up, I'm done. How did you find your purpose and how do we know when we have found it? When I found mine, I sensed it deep in my core. It was a kinesthetic feeling in my stomach right above, actually right above my stomach, based in my rib cage, right around the solar plexus chakra. I had been struggling. I was on the, the heels of a divorce that wasn't going well, which how many of them ever do. I was at a job that was miserable and soul-sucking and was asking myself, why? Why am I going to this place? And it took me about two weeks 
to really fully understand it because the surface answer is always because you have a mortgage, you moron. And (laughs) one day a client called me and, and invited me to come see them to help them figure out a problem. And toward the end of the conversation, they said, you know, we, we're not sure exactly how to get to the end result, but we know you will. And as I hung up the phone, the cartoon light bulb was over my head that I love problem solving. And I, the more we negotiate through it to you know, get the, the most informed decision, that I felt that in my stomach. It's like, that's part of why I'm here. That's a big part of me. And now what do I do with it? And from that point forward of moving from that awareness of I'm here to help, self pro- help, help solve problems, I discovered hypnotherapy. That was a universal moment of shut up and take my money. It's, it's way too clear of a sign <laughs> from the universe. And uh, I've never looked back from that point forward. It's been magnificent. Is that considered a spiritual practice, hypnotherapy? Would that be considered one too? I think in certain applications, it absolutely is, particularly in some of the work that I do, which is um, classified as interpersonal work yeah. where um, that that type of work is reconnection to that source or universal or God divine energy and remembering that we are part of it so that we have all of that abundance, all of that power as a realization that we are that thing. We are an element of it. Access that or to see that. It seems simple, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's it's all that. Uh-huh. It, it reminds me of the Golden Buddha story of the, the Buddha statue that 250 or so years ago, I forget exactly when this happened, um, Thailand was being invaded and the invading army was melting down all the gold. And there's this beautiful, huge Buddha statue at this monastery in this small village. And they they knew that if they didn't do something to protect it, it would be melted. So they covered it over with clay. So it appeared to be just a a pottery or a a clay statue. Invading army came in. It was ignored over generations because the army occupied. People forgot there was a golden statue underneath it. Mm. And in the late 50s, it was decided to move the statue to another location. In the moving, it was damaged in some, the, the clay was damaged. And as they started looking at the damage, realized there was gold underneath. And that just remembering, the, the story is such a metaphor for me of the mud of life piles on from our ego awareness, from our experiences, all this stuff that we live into and we forget our golden divinity underneath. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. To me, what comes to mind and I have been kind of contemplating is the idea of unconditional love a lot. When you hear that phrase, unconditional love, what comes to mind? What do you think about, Daniel? I would love to say that I think of freedom and peace and being. And it's strange, even even I have this moment of how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like on a scale of one to one hundred, if yeah. one hundred is unconditional, where am I? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm somewhere around seventy-five or eighty. But I'm not entirely sure because <laughs> I, I judge mm-hmm. too. And that's another question. Even if it is unconditional love, what we are, this is all about, then even the conditions are part of that. So it accepts everything. It doesn't really matter if you judge or not. It's it's still love. Yeah, there's there's that space of allowing someone else to have their different perspective and say that's their journey. And as long as they are not intentionally harming me, 
or someone else, allow them to have that space because that's part of their their experience as we're all part of this bigger whole. It's just one one more aspect, one more facet to that diamond. From my perspective, yes, absolutely. And it is a challenge <laughs> to be able to live it, right? Really live it, let it be like, all these uh, the harmful things that are happening, just see them happen and not get worked up about it and just keep that equanimity, that peace, just be in that space of not even knowing, of being, of being, really. Yeah, and in that space of, is there anything that, is, as I'm seeing it and I'm reacting to it, is there something that is in my control mm-hmm. yeah. to maybe alleviate it or to change it? And if there isn't, a, having that space of allowing, okay, it's out of my control and I, I can't get drawn into it if it's not. What do you love most about being in a human body? Hmm. <laughs> I think there's two levels to that answer. There's, there's the external answer, which is seeing the other healing that I can help facilitate. And then the internal answer is what does that do for me um, as I see that healing take place and the sharing of the light? It's... Um, a sense of being in my purpose. Talk to me for a moment about the misconceptions about healing. That's see, <laughs> that everything is unicorns and rainbows. Uh, right. And that it's the idea that particularly on a spiritual journey of healing, that it's going to be easy and that at any moment it's complete because it seems like every moment when I know at least as I've been on this journey for many, many years, every time I thought that I had reached some pinnacle, there was something else to come after it. And it's, it's a constant evolution. And some of it, not all of it is in the experience of, and and you can't see me, but I'm air quoting here with my fingers. (laughs) Um, A lot of it is so much deep (laughs) shadow work and healing that the the concept of like the dark night of the soul, when we're really looking deep within ourselves and experiencing the fear, experiencing all the, the more negative aspects of who we are and where we've been, they're difficult days of really questioning a lot of existence but the other side of them is so, so bright. That's something that I learned to do the hard way. <laughs> Just, yeah, it took me so many years to learn that. And because that's the tendency we have, it seems to me it's natural to push pain away and whatever seems negative, we just try to escape from it. It is. And the, I think of the work of Debbie Ford in this space and reading her book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, many years ago. That shadow aspect is part of who we are. It's part of our wholeness. And it has power. It has abundant power that we tend to disavow when when it rears its, air quote, ugly head. And the more we disavow it, the louder and more powerful it can act out sometimes. But when we recognize it's there and it is part of us, that it has a purpose and we embrace it, we become more of a whole human being at that point rather than a segmented one. So you co-wrote the book, A Pessimist's Guide to Manifesting, a practical approach to making the law of attraction and 20 other universal laws work for you. So talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing this book, co-writing this book. Yeah, the main intention, my co-author, Iris Turner, is a shaman in British Columbia. We've done work together for years. Um, The main reason for writing the book was, one, I 
I wanted to, we both wanted to create something that was a more complete conversation around the universal laws instead of it always being focused on law of attraction because everybody knows that one. And then the realization that, you know, when we're in that space of discussing law of attraction, so many people have a knee-jerk aversion to it of, oh, that's a bunch of crap. It doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. But as a universal law, that energetic is always working and it's the attitude toward it or the belief toward it that it's not that creates the outcome. So the title of the book was about the reason this stuff isn't working for you is because you have the attitude it's not. Mm. And each of the 21 energetics, how we tend to come at them in opposition and how to shift perspective to come into alignment. Oh, wow. Yeah, we'll be exploring some of them. I have them here. But before that, Daniel, let me ask you, actually, let me make a comment about something that I read, I think, in your website. It said, when you can see what things truly are and how they work, when you can see the unseen, you can create magic. That's powerfully said, written, said, stated. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, really. So when you can see the unseen, stopped me when I read that. And then you also, something else that caught my attention was the mantra that you carry. You say, we are nothing more than the stories we tell about who we are. We are literally the embodiment of that story. Change your story, change what you believe about who you are and what you deserve, and you will create a new life experience. So true. That's something that storytelling, I'm wondering, you mentioned the ego earlier. Is that something that is connected to the ego mind aspect of ourselves, which everything is whole anyway. So the ego, it's wholeness too. What is that trying to do? What's the purpose of creating stories as much as we do all the time? To me, I think it's it's forming our place in the world and what we deserve and So I come from the idea that we come in as somewhat of a blank slate, even though there's a there's a quality of with what I shared earlier that we signed we signed a contract in the space between. So there's a little bit that a lot of the awareness, particularly of the blocks, maybe of the purpose, is somewhat erased for us to rediscover. And as as we live life, parents, siblings, friends, um, other figures of authority as we're growing up, particularly in childhood tell us, tend to tell us who we should be, what we should do. Typically, typically coming from a place of love and support of, oh, you shouldn't do that or you could get hurt kind of thing. And then we, through that, depending on how those messages are driven, we learn limitation or we put judgment on how we think, how we would love to live life. Maybe um, we have a desire to have rich monetary riches in some way, but someone in our life says, you know, that's bad, that's selfish to want that because you're taking away from somebody else. And we we learn this more playing small um, or that if we're selfish in some way, that means we're better than somebody else. So the, the ego takes on these stories of playing smaller than the soul would have us play. So I'm wondering when you speak about knowing who we are, it goes beyond belief system, right, Daniel? What would you say that is? It does. And and it goes, it comes back to that moment of deep internal knowing. And there's what's coming to me in this moment to say is at any point in the time, we are always being 
Yeah. And the question is, are we being our highest? And if we're feeling like, if we're feeling stress, if we're like the down, the, the downward stress, not the, the excited stress yes. that carries us forward. Right. But if we're, we're living and feeling less than most likely we are not playing at our high or not being at our highest. And we're doing so because we learned a story mm. that has us being less. And since anything we learn, we can unlearn. Right. What's the new story we want to learn and start speaking that actually carries us toward our highest ideal way of being? seems to me like we're still telling a story, but at a different side of the story. One, it's negative limiting. The other one, it's freeing, expanding, but still a mm-hmm. story, isn't it? It is still a story. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I have found is, as you say that, it brought a different perspective to me. The, I'm, I'm throwing this out because this is the first time I've thought of it this way. Yeah. The limiting story, we tend to tell the story first and then experience the feeling of being less than afterwards. Mm, right. And as I think in this moment to my experience when I had my epiphany of purpose, the feeling came first. Mm. And then I told the story into it to support it. Oh, so the being, it came from that space of being. Yeah, right. did the story frame the being or does the being frame the story? Knowing what comes first. But there is a place in us that is, it doesn't change. I have been trying to contemplate that idea a lot. It's everything. It's what I, I call unconditional love, really, that space. There's no storytelling. It's just really accepting. Yeah, and, and just in the moment, I think of it, there's, there's the, the solar plexus chakra space of us in, in our identity that, that's more of the soul identity. And then that place where it all comes together, I'm drawn to the heart chakra there. Mm. where the three uppers, the the spiritual and the speaking of truth comes down and the three lowers, which are about survival and connection and being in the three-dimensional world come together. And even the the symbol of the heart chakra is two triangles, one one upward pointing, one downward pointing to um, signify the connection of those two elements, the spiritual and the material. Let's talk about the laws in your book. So there are 21 of them, and I would love to start with the law of love. <laughs> that is the ultimate one. Yes. That we, are, yeah. we are all part of the universe, not separate from it, or part of God, part of source, whatever word you want to put on it. We're not separate from it. That it's as divine beings birthed, into, birthed onto this planet, we have an element of that within us and that ultimately the universe is a loving universe it is not a judgmental one in the way that we might get taught through religions it's a loving it it wants us to do well because we're part of it and when we remember the universe has our back it may and not it's not conspiring against us it's conspiring for us um, that changes so much because we come into harmony with with the idea of creation from love so you say you are the energy of love. You are loved and deserving. So that deserving, that goes back to storytelling that so many of us believe we don't deserve to be loved when we already love. That's kind of, wow, it's hard to even to understand that. How did we come to that kind of conclusion? Or how did we imagine that they were separate? Because that's coming from a place of, seems to be a distorted imagination. 
Very much so. And I think typically in my life and then also in, in various client stories or just having conversations, the learning of lack and the being told that we're not lovable. And even as, as children, the, as we think, you know, playing with one model, the inner child, the, the inner adult and the inner parent that as we're growing and forming personality that we align toward what our parents want for us because if in that space of being somewhat literally helpless we need them to survive and this fear comes along eventually that if if I don't behave and fall into line I won't be loved I won't be taken care of therefore ultimately I will die. Um, So yeah one of the the topics that i really basic that I love um, kind of writing about and talking about self-love it goes back to that first. Seems like that's the first step toward that unconditional love space that we know it's there. So when it comes to self-love, do you do you feel it's the same as self-care? Some people do think that that's the same thing, but do you make a distinction between them? I think the only distinction I would make there is self-love to me is a state of being. Yeah. Self-care is a process or a tool in showing yourself self-love. And you do have some homework. You speak of each law and then you have the homework. In this case, with the law of love, you have the negative quieting, the negative voice of the ego and move forward to reconnect with the universe, God, or source. So the other law that we'll be talking about is the law of giving and receiving. And also the third one we'll talk about, which is reverse effect. So talk to me about the law of giving and receiving. In the ideas of manifestation and, and creating, that the thing that we are looking to receive or that we say we want, we tend to unfortunately clutch onto it and, and hoard it. Um, whether that is an expression, we want love, so I'll, I'll withhold it from everybody that I don't feel is deserving of it. Or in a more practical conversation that tends to come forward is the person who is desiring more money. They will... in they will hoard the money back rather than being in a flow. It's like they're they're damming up the the river. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather th- and the other energetic that comes here is, and I, I use this metaphor in the book. Imagine you're walking down the street and you have forty dollars in your pocket, and you see a homeless person who is asking for money. I could, you know, choose how much, and let's say I, I choose to give the forty. I could hand it to them in a place of a fear energetic of, I don't know that I'll ever see this again and maybe they'll just, you know, they'll do something with it that I wouldn't want them to do. Once I turn it over, it's no longer my intention. The giving from a space of love, of connection to the universe of, I have it, this person doesn't, I'm drawn to share it with them and give it away Mm -hmm. from a space of it will make their life better and I'm free to receive the abundance flowing back to me. And depending on, you know, which which spiritual ideology we come from, sometimes that's returned three times over, sometimes 10 times over, sometimes 100 times over, but it only comes from the, sh- the giving out of love, where we are back to that word, versus the, I don't, I don't want to give it up because then I'm still attached to the money even after I've given it. 
That's an interesting idea. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. We cannot give um, what we don't have. And if we think we don't have love, then yeah, we're always starving. We are love. So that's right. In the case of money, that's interesting. With me, I remember that something that really got me started was somebody that said, I used to do this podcast and I was recording them and I was not able to publish them because I didn't have the funds to do it. But then I hesitated to ask my guests for the editing assistance, for the banners, whatever, because no, I'm doing something that's spiritual, that is, um, you know, of higher ground. I can't charge for these, for this, what I do. And I remember talking to somebody and he said, but money is energy. It's an energetic exchange. So if you don't ask for what you already have, actually, which is the, the platform and this the messages that you wanted these messages out there. This is already something that has been created. But if you don't ask for something in return, something that in our, in our reality is called money, then that can never manifest. I remember somebody, he didn't say it that way, but he said in a way that just woke me up. <laughs> and I said, okay, so I'll ask my guests. For that. And that was never an issue ever. And I thought it would be. It reminds me of, you know, Back in the 80s when I was, you know, exploring spirituality and there were people around me who would say, you can't charge for your gifts. That's right. that, that's out of alignment. Yeah. And 20, 30 years later, I'm like coming and this would tie in the law of love. The universe or God gave me this and fully knows that I live in a society where money is required to live at, at some certain level of comfort. Yeah. I have the gift to earn the money to live that ideal and be in that space of full support. And it's the, the overcoming the story that I mm. can't or I shouldn't right. that is the, the place of growth to move into it. The, the universe has your back. And just like I said, as soon as, you, as soon as you step past the question, there was no issue. Yeah, that was really magical to me. <laughs> so when you mm -hmm. speak of magic, um, yeah, the, it really sounds like magic because everything, to me, seems like it's been imagined. We're imagining this reality. It's imagination, so it has not been created yet even. When we really, that's fascinating, huh, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, we, are, we are recreating um, it every mm -hmm. day. <laughs> right, right, right. So the law of reverse effect, what is this law about and how do we practice it? The law of reverse effect, the easiest way I can describe it is when you try too hard, you get in your own way. Yeah. Think about the yeah. last time mm. you misplaced your keys and you ran around the house or the office trying to find them. And like you finally come to that moment of I'm either going to walk or I'm going to call a taxi or an Uber and you just <laughs> pause and breathe. Yeah. And in those few seconds of breath, oh, wait a minute. They were in my pocket last night in the jeans. I threw those jeans in the laundry basket and suddenly we discover them in the pause and slow down. That when we're in the overactive space of the monkey mind and overthinking and that churn of where are they, where are they? They're not where I usually put them our subconscious wisdom can come forward when the, the conscious mind quiets. Yeah. So it seems, again, very simple to do that. But for some reason, we tend not to. So it's a practice, isn't it? Go back to it. It is. Yeah. And it's it's that realization of the, the thoughts that I have, the, the ego base of who I've learned to be, doesn't have all the answers on the surface. 
mm. and slow down and breathe and move more into a state of awareness and being, the answers tend to flow forward when we stop judging and allow ourselves to drop in to the embodiment of our, our wisdom. So the other, I would love for you to talk about, we're almost at the end, but the law of allowing and the law of grace, those two, Daniel. Sure. We've kind of indirectly touched on the law of allowing in the earlier conversation of stop. And it's, this is in alignment with reverse, or, uh, reverse effect as well. Allow things to be without judgment. That if the universe is all love, from an ego place, I may disagree with certain place. I may disagree with certain things, but if I don't get caught up and attached to what I don't like, I can be more in the space of connection to an energetic and be focused on controlling what is in my control or making the adjustments that I can make to then maybe be maybe affect later on in this moment. What's in my control? and take action there rather than wishing someone would do something differently or wishing a government would be different or wishing the world environment would be different. What's in my control? Then um, law of grace, what's what's the phrase here? Um, What you resist persists. So that space of grace and forgiveness, even with ourselves, um, it's easy at any moment in time to look back on our life and say, I wish I would have known that five years, 10 years earlier, or I made a bad decision, you made a decision. As all of us, at everybody on the planet at any point in time is making the best decision they can with the information they have. Mm. And two days later or five years later, when a new piece of information comes forward, it's, it's disingenuous to judge our prior selves to say, I should have known better. You didn't yeah. have the grace and forgiveness to say, I didn't know it then. I know it now. What would I do differently? And even in the space of judging others, just because they didn't do what you might do, they don't have the same life experience, the same background, the same information. They're making the choice from their place of being, not from yours. To me, it kind of goes back to simplicity. When you talk to me by email and then you send the law of love, and you mentioned being one of your favorite. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. It's everybody's favorite in a way, but we tend not to um, really embody that or forget. It's easy forgotten, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Very much so. So thank you again for the work you do, the way you do it. It's just very uh, genuine and authentic, <laughs> the way you just flow with these ideas and this intention of helping others. Thank you. So before we, I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Um, I think the thing I would like to share with everybody um, is something my coach said to me earlier this year. I was in a bit of a kind of not not a, a highly frantic spin up, but I was yeah. in a little bit of a spin up. <laughs> and he said hmm. to me, the shortest meditation in the world is one mindful breath. It doesn't necessarily take 20 or 30 minutes or more of meditation practice. Those are wonderful. But at any moment in time, a deep mindful breath of coming back to the moment, coming back into a state of being is all we need. So my last questions to you, I'll ask you this one. I think I have three questions for you. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? To me, knowing and feeling that I am living my purpose and having an impact on the world because I am here to bring this planet to a tipping point of soul awareness so the nonsense and the division and the divisiveness comes to a stop. Thank you. 
for your confidence in saying that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we feel that we don't have enough power to do anything about it, but it's, it's just responding to life, then everything, mm-hmm. letting it flow, as you said. I absolutely agree with that. And in doing something about it, when we have the resources, because that takes courage, doesn't it, to be authentic mm-hmm. and to really do what we need to do. Sometimes I think about courage, but also I think ultimately it's trust. That's what really comes to me a lot, just trust. It is, yeah, that is very much. And it's interesting how trust aligns with the law of love. Yes, 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 yeah, right. Because love is the foundation, just trust that and go Mm -hmm. with that flow. So my last two questions, what is another word for healing? Hmm. I have three, peace, love, and balance. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? It is always changing. I have the choice of how I respond to it, and I choose to respond from peace and love. And I won't always agree with everyone, and that's okay. Ah, with that, <laughs> we must end because that's exactly yeah, what unconditional love is all about. <laughs> So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? You can find me on the web at com. Wonderful. I'll have that link on your podcast profile too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Daniel Alexa and his work, please visit danielalexa.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>